I came up with a crazy name for this series of lessons in, in our Christmas season, The Wild Goose of Christmas. It is drawn from a book called Wild Goose Chase by Mark Batterson. I don't know if anybody besides me has read that book. Some weeks ago, I finished the book, uh, sometime back actually, and um, as I closed the lid on the uh, end of the book, I almost instantly saw how that the subject of the book overlaid some of the characters of the Christmas story. It just came to me, sitting there in our sunroom. I remember finishing the book and closed the cover, and instantly I had, a, I had some thoughts that began to put some pieces together of how he didn't deal with it that way at all, but how that the characters, or, or how that the characters of Christmas um, were overlaid by the things he talked about. But I'd like to just read to you his setup comments uh, concerning the title of the book. The Celtic Christians had a name for the Holy Spirit that has always intrigued me. They called him Angeidgalas, or the wild goose. I love the imagery and implications. The name hints at the mysterious nature of the Holy Spirit. Much like a wild goose, the Spirit of God cannot be tracked or tamed. An element of danger and an air of, un air of unpredictability surround him. And while the name may sound a little sacrilegious at first earshot, I cannot think of a better description of what it's like to pursue the Spirit's leading through life than wild goose chase. I think the Celtic Christians were onto something that institutionalized Christianity has missed out on. And I wonder if we have dipped the wings of the wild goose, or excuse me, clipped the wings of the wild goose and settled for something less, much less, than what God originally intended for us. I understand that wild goose chase typically refers to a purposeless endeavor without a defined destination. But chasing the wild goose is different. The promptings of the Holy Spirit can sometimes seem pretty pointless, but rest assured, God is working His plan. And if you chase the wild goose, He will take you places you never could have imagined going by paths you never knew existed. Remember our word, um, 2019, August, new roads, new rivers. Take you on paths you never knew existed. I don't know a single Christ follower who hasn't gone, gotten stressed out over trying to figure out the will of God. We want to solve the mystery of the will of God the way we solve a Sudaku or crossword puzzle. But in my experience, intellectual analysis usually results in spiritual paralysis. We try to make God fit into the confines of our cerebral cortex. We try to reduce the will of God to the logical limits of our left brain. But the will of God is neither logical nor linear. It is downright confusing and complicated. It's not exactly um, an easy book to read for someone my age because we think of subjects like adventure and challenge and risk as subjects for 
millennials, younger people. We want to think and read and kind of build our life around routine, predictability, safety, things like that. But I've discovered in life that we are both helped and sometimes healed. Sometimes healed by doing something that challenges our routine, makes us stretch to a cause that's greater than ourselves. Recently, I was uh, driving over to Planned Parenthood on a Friday morning, and uh, I just kind of stepped outside myself with an observation which I later shared with Wally, who was there. He usually is when I get there. We all know that those of us who go and stand on the sidewalk are there because of the babies, because of the moms, because of the whole family members that are involved in that tragedy, and of course because God cares. But what do I get out of this exercise? What kind of tends to draw me back to the sidewalk again. And the fact is that out there, I am living at the core of my faith and what I believe. I'm not Pastor Gary to anybody out there. I'm not a teacher. I have no badge of authority. Some people honk at me, give a thumbs up, I smile and I wave. They think he's an old guy, it's cold, I think I'll make his day. And you know what? They do. They do. Others may honk at us and give us a different signal. Or they may yell something like, get a job! That's one of the common ones. And we're there with our Catholic friends. I have never worked this closely with Catholics before. I have never fully appreciated the people in the Catholic Church before. But boy, I have a new insight for those folks. They are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you would have to, you would have to do some heavy-duty convincing of me to keep me from that conviction. And I know a lot of people would. We're out there with our Catholic friends. They're over there holding their crucifix as they're singing sometimes or praying the rosaries, often kneeling, often bringing their precious little children with them when they come. It's one of the most precious things I've, I've ever experienced to see those beautiful little, almost always Latin children. Thank God for the Latinos and the Latinas who are out there on the sidewalk. And these little kids walking around with a sign with a picture of a baby on it. Just standing there with mom, mostly mom, as they're praying the rosary. But in the mixture of all that, 
I am being a little piece of light out on a sidewalk with my sign, with my smile, with my wave, with my prayer, and sometimes with a witness. No clerical collar, no title, no authority. Just a guy who believes something enough to get out there on a cold day or on a hot summer day. And it draws me back again and again because deep down, listen to this carefully, I know that safety can be a trap. On that sidewalk, I am challenging the safety of an atrophied faith. And your faith can get atrophied. It gets too convenient. It gets too easy. It gets too culturalized. I'm stepping outside the box. I'm not in a safe place. It's a wild goose chase. And I'm just holding on every single time. The world always tries to keep us caged inside of its boundaries, to keep the church inside the building, to keep your life inside the confines of busyness, so that you never get into the wild goose chase. News reports of shootings and hate-filled riots and people that do wild, crazy, evil things today really could shut us down. Right, Wally? It could shut us down. It could fill us with fear. Um, Wally has told me that Lana Gale prays consistently against someone just driving down that street with an AK-47 and just mowing us down because they've got a hate-filled heart toward what we are doing. I look at cars. I look at them as they come. We all do. Um, so we're not stupid about it. We know there's a danger. There's so much hate expressed to us that we know the hate is there. But it could keep us. It could keep us locked into the confines of doing nothing. I've become aware through this pandemic of just how much our world would control us if we succumbed to that mentality. And please understand, and, and you who are Zooming, please understand, there are good reasons to have care, to have a mask, to wear your mask, to, uh, to stay home, to quarantine yourself. There are good reasons 
to do those things. But I'm talking about the craziness of some of the extreme measures that are going on in the world. People, I, I've seen people rudely telling someone to pull their mask up over their nose. I've seen people rudely yell across stores to people. Uh, you're not wearing your mask or you're not wearing it right. Rudeness. Just being mean. The, the man here in Dallas County, excuse me for bringing this up, but the man here in Dallas County who would be our pandemic father of wisdom if we allowed him. You know who I'm talking about, Judge Clay Jenkins. He suggested that we get this genius idea. He suggested that we have a silent Thanksgiving. That means you have your family, you have your, whoever you're going to have, you know, but it should just be you and your spouse there. I mean, just, and, and then you, you have your Thanksgiving in silence. Several governors would like to cut back and cut off our singing, our touching of one another, like praying for Roger this morning. All those things are a special focus of the world to keep us from doing those things. I think it indicates hell strategy. I'm not saying every one of these people are demonically motivated. I'm just saying that the world would like to keep your mouth shut. The world would like to keep us from singing. The world would like to squash your testimony. The world would like to stop us from gathering together. Listen, if... I know that a few people have come up with a couple of verses in the Bible that seem to suggest that maybe we shouldn't gather because after all, it's a very individual thing. I could give you pages of scriptures about how we're knit together with one another and we need one another and we need togetherness with one another. I could give you pages of verses on that and instead we find one little point over here that's, well, it's, but it's an individual thing. We need one another. We need to hear the voices of one another. Yes. Noe and Natalie came in and were with us. Uh, I don't know if they're Zooming out. Hi, Noe and Natalie, if you're Zooming today. But they were with us uh, a few Sundays back. And uh, Noe said to me after he and I had lunch the following week, he said, he said, Pastor, he said, I couldn't believe the difference it made me feel when I came and was actually there in the congregation instead of Zooming the services. He said, I'd almost forgotten It'd been quite a long time that they'd just been Zooming. See, the devil wants to keep us from touching one another. He wants to keep our voice quiet. And he especially, Becca, wants to keep us from worshiping. Yeah. Whoa! If there, is a, if there is a primary strategy of hell, I think it would be more to keep you quiet than me. I really do. I think if the worship could be stopped... Because that's our, primary, that's our primary call. Our primary call is not teaching, it's worship. So, it's all about risk-free living. And yet I see some of the most risk-free people who take the most precautions also get sick. So when I thought of how 
responsibility and routine and all those things can trap us in a free, sterile pattern of life. You know who I thought of in the Christmas story? I thought of dear old Joseph. <laughs> dear old Joseph, the daddy of Jesus. And how he struggled against the wild goose of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 1, it's on the screen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Verse 19 says he was a just man. The word there in the Greek is dikaios. Dikaios. It comes from a root word, decay, which the meaning of that is rule or custom. Rule or custom. Joseph was a rule keeper. He was probably a rule enforcer. He would have seen very few, if any, reasons not to be absolutely strict about the law. He was orderly in every way, in every aspect of life. He would say, it says what it says, and it means what it means. And there is no exception for a young woman who is pregnant outside of marriage. I mean, read it in the Old Testament. There is no exception. So a rule keeper would simply seek some kind of legal method to, with as little pain as possible, put her away. Joseph did. But he thought about it first. There's where he got into danger. There's where he got into the wild goose part. He thought about it. See, if you rush quickly to just be an enforcer of the law and you don't stop and think, you'll just be an enforcer of the law in your own life and in other people's lives. Harvey Mackey, who was the great envelope executive in his book, How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten, he said, 
the thing that we need to value with our employees is their time to think. Give them time to think. said, if I walk into one of my executive's office and he's sitting in his chair, leaning back, looking out the window, I don't scold him for doing nothing. I'm glad he's thinking about solutions that we need. Give yourself time to think. We need those, we need those margins of life. It says he thought about it first. While he thought about these things, See, the safety of rules is that you don't have to think. You just do the rule. Well, that's my rule. That's the rule. It, it, it cancels out the thinking part. That's the danger of thinking, and it's the safety of rules. You remember Nehemiah in the Old Testament? I, I was thinking of Nehemiah. His life was full of routine. His life was full of responsibility as a cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes, who was the most powerful man on earth. In our day, it would be the equivalent of working in the office next to the Oval Office and having access to the president constantly. It would be that. And the cupbearer was thought to be closer to the king often than his favorite wife. They often had many wives. It was often thought to be closer to the king than any of his wives. The cupbearer cleared everything, every morsel of food, every drink that went past the king's lips. And so therefore was the king's closest and most trusted confidant also often. But this very responsible man, Nehemiah, got word of a ruin that had happened, that had come to his homeland, Israel. And he made the mistake of thinking about it. which caused him to think of possibilities outside his safety net. Yeah. The Bible says, so it was when he heard these words that, was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. From that moment... Nehemiah was directed and led into a wild goose chase which would lead him on a very unsafe rescue mission of a torn down city and a busted up people. Now let me get back to Joseph. The Holy Spirit put his finger right on the source of Joseph's safety net and the reason he would stay there in safety and routine in verse 20. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid to take. He was afraid of anything outside of his safe routine. Anything that would shake his boundaries of life. This is where it is. 
But God has a way of splitting into those places. And it says the Lord came to him. The Lord came to him. God told him something that was totally outside the rules. That which is conceived in her. Can, can I digress for just a moment here? Not long. Conceived. Conceived. It, it, the, the, the word conceived suggests a simple action of the sperm and the egg coming together. And that is not really the meaning of this word. This word here means, if you look in the margin of the, well, the Spirit-filled life Bible, and I don't know about yours, it says begotten. Begotten. Begotten is different than conceived. Conceived is a physical sperm coming together with an egg. Begotten says it's a child. It's a person. It has humanity. It's not an embryo. It's not a fetus. It's not a mass of cells. A child is begotten in her. And Joseph was drug, kicking and screaming into this new out-of-the-box reality. And God said this in this way, and I want to emphasize the first two words, you will call His name Jesus. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is because there was great significance in that. Because you didn't call a child by its name unless it was yours. Unless it was really yours. By doing that, Joseph was putting himself in a place that he could not understand, nor could he comprehend. But God said, do it. Sometimes in the wild goose chase of your walk with the Lord, God will just say, do it. And you won't always have comprehension, or you won't always have full understanding. He just says, do it. You will own Him as your son. You will. And when God says, you will... You will. <laughs> Kicking and screaming maybe, but you will. I wrote this on your notes, and that's why it's recorded this way. God would not allow the tyranny of the urgent to rob him of obedience. I was drawing that from the little booklet, Tyranny of the Urgent, that Many of us have read it. I can't remember the author, but I've got a worn copy in my file, and it's, it's, a, it's a great message. But I want to say it in a different way. God would not allow the tyranny of risk-free living to rob Him of obedience to the truly important. Remember the rich young ruler? came to Jesus? I don't remember him. He had youth. He had wealth. He had power. He had a high-paying job. He had a fat 401k. Had plenty of safety in his life. Plenty of safety nets in his life. But something is missing because he asked Jesus this question. Why, what do I lack? What do I lack? His life was very predictable. His life was very comfortable. His life was very safe. But in effect, he says, I keep all the commandments. 
I keep all the commandments. But there, but there must be something more. Because there has to be more than just not doing the wrong thing. There has to be something more than just not doing the wrong thing. Here's an amazing thing about that story. Jesus offers him an internship with the Son of God. And he turned it down because the wild goose wasn't safe enough for him. Maybe Joseph thought that he could sleep off his predicament. Maybe we've all tried to do that at one time in our life, kind of sleep off the predicament. But God made him, and I can't believe I'm saying this, God made him woke. <laughs> I never thought I'd have that in a sermon. God made him woke in the truest sense. For the past few years, a lot of you know this because I've mentioned it from time to time. I have been very interested in the millennial generation. I think walking closely with Judah as I do has caused some of that because we share often and I hear his thinking. But also, I, I was at camp when um, P.J. Moon spoke a few years ago. And I literally, I was there with our kids our youth group at camp, I literally had to ask the young person next to me what, to translate what he was saying. P.J. Moon is a millennial. And the way he was talking, and especially the rapid pace, I have hearing aids, and when you go, it, it sounds like that to me sometimes. P.J. Moon was shot, he shot with those rapid fire bursts, you know, and, and it was, his language was challenging to me. Now, he wasn't speaking. He was speaking to a whole auditorium full of young guys. And the Holy Spirit at that camp, and there were a couple of songs they sang that I sat back and I was examining it theologically. You ever done that? You ever done that? Yeah, I was, I was sitting back and I was examining the song theologically, kind of with a, an old guy, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're saying this. It's not really theologically sound, you know. It's, not really a ride on, but these kids are so... <clears throat> God's using it, and I couldn't deny that God was in it. So I've been very interested just thinking, and I've read some books, and thinking about the heart of millennials for those last few years. I sat with a, with a millennial one day, and she said to me, I'm just not willing to sell my soul for 40 hours a week. She, was, she didn't have a job at the time. She was looking for a job, but she didn't want just any job. She said, I'm not willing to sell my soul for 40 hours a week. I think you were there, Wally, when she said that at the hospital. Now, do we have to lose our common sense? Do we have to lose our common sense? Do we have to 
lose our stability in our thinking to agree with something like that. No. No, we don't. I think there's a wild goose call that is almost innate in the, in the nature of those who are about the millennial age. I think they're dangerous to hell. Grant Skeldon's book, The Passion Generation, talks about the danger of the millennial generation to hell's intentions. It's a great read, by the way. I'm telling you today that you are more dangerous than you think you are. You are more dangerous than you think you are. But we have to allow the Spirit of God to awaken us at that deep spiritual level. To walk in that place of the wild goose chase. Challenge, another challenging book, if you want to be challenged. <laughs> I, I, I made it through it kicking and screaming. I love Francis Chan, but I have a love-hate relationship with him. He drives me crazy because he goes so far out on the limb, and I just read and I go, oh, man, I don't think I can do that. And he says, yes, you can. Francis Chan in Letters to the Church. It's actually very good. It says, I was in Beijing speaking to pastors who used to lead underground churches. Now that oppression was easing up in China, they had been given more freedom. He, he's Chinese, by the way. They had been given more freedom, so they began taking their churches above ground. They rented buildings and started running services the way we do in America. It was great for a while, but these pastors became so discouraged. I wish I could convey the frustration and desperation in their voices. They talked about the good old days when their people were risking their lives and radically sharing the gospel, making disciples. But now these pastors are lamenting the way their people attend services and expect the leaders to feed them and cater to them. They had seen this same transition in Korea and were terrified it would happen in their context as well. All anyone wanted was a Jesus and a church that served their needs and kept them comfortable. What started as a movement became a bunch of people sitting safely in services. That's what pulls me back to Planned Parenthood. That's what pulls me back to the sidewalk. Last week, when we went to um, Sunset Villa, trying to think of the name of it, I just stepped back at one point. I'd, I'd gone over, I'd been doing some door knocking in the apartments, and I stepped back at one point and just watched our team that was there. Quite a few of you were there. I appreciated that very much. And uh, I watched our team giving out food, smiling, talking, engaging the people, uh, tearing through. You didn't even know you were doing it, but you were tearing through some racial and social boundaries in what you were doing. You guys were dangerous out there. 
You were dangerous out there. You scared the bejeebers out of hell. Wasn't in your job description. Most of us didn't know what we were doing. We're just walking on the water. But it was precious. God was in it. But it doesn't have to be at Sunset Villa. And it doesn't have to be at Planned Parenthood. It doesn't have to be anywhere other than where you are. And please don't wait until Thanksgiving of 2021 <laughs> to challenge your boundaries of routine and responsibility and safety. Please don't wait till fall 2021 to do that again. Make some cookies for somebody. Give yourself a little time to think about something bigger than yourself. Bigger than your grandchildren and your children. Allow, uh, allow God to, I'm going to do it again, woke you. I don't even know how to use the word in a sentence, but I'm shooting at it. Be the light. It might be, it might be the beginning of a wild goose chase that will continue in your life far beyond the holiday season. I hope it does in mine and yours.